Yes, a little different. Thank you. Well, before we go any further this morning, um, I invite you to the throne of grace and to pray to our dear Heavenly Father. Father, we approach you this morning, not in ourselves, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we have been justified by faith in him, recognizing that there is no good thing in us, that we have not sought you, but that we have been selfish even throughout this week and perhaps this morning. We ask your cleansing, we ask your filling of your spirit that we might pay attention to the reading of God's word, that we might live it, that we might edify one another in our singing in our fellowship, and in all that we do this morning. So would you attend us, Father? We, we flail apart from you, but your Spirit holds us together, and we pray that ministry of your Holy Spirit this morning through the Word of God in our worship, and all these things we pray in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Much of worship is communication. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that we started last week is about worship in the church. And much of worship is about uh, communication. God communicates with us. He does so by his grace, for we cannot even begin to understand him apart from him initiating contact with us. And so worship becomes this communication that we have with God. He communicates with us. There's communication from God in which he reveals who he is. He reveals what he is like. He reveals who he is. He reveals how we approach him, how we can be related to him, how we can worship him, and how we can live. But communication is also, therefore, to God. We communicate back to God. We respond back to him. We communicate that we have understanding of what he has said to us. We speak back to him what he has said. We speak his character. We speak his words. We speak his creation. We speak his greatness. We speak his commands. We praise him. We give him thanks. This is declaring his worth. This is declaring his glory. This is declaring our plight. This is declaring our place before him, our love and our devotion to him, and our resolve to live for him. This is worship. Worship is revelation, and worship is response. The point is, this communication is something that we understand, something that we can understand, because God makes it clear to us. And once we understand those truths, then we communicate back to Him. But we also communicate with one another. Worship is communicating with one another. That's why communion is a declaration that we are one body and we are related to one another. In worship, though, Colossians 3, 16 and 17 say this, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, to one another, to God, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. 
It starts with the word. Jesus is the mediator. The Holy Spirit is the, is the empowerment. And as we look at this section this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we want to keep in mind that we worship him and we do that because we are responsible to communicate truth to one another as well. And we recognize a number of things we just want to keep in mind because he is talking about tongues, the gift of tongues throughout chapter 14. We recognize this, that at this writing, the gift of tongues was in full use in the church. A legitimate gift of the Spirit operational in the church. And we have to make sure we understand that when we're interpreting that and we don't try and find some way that Paul is saying tongues aren't for then. Tongues were for then. Our position, as we have stated at the very beginning of this, uh, uh, this series and beginning in chapter 12, is that the biblical gift of tongues no, uh, speaking in a language you have not learned before is a gift that was part of the founding of the early church and it disappeared over time. We know that from church history. And so that is the position that we take, remembering that God can do whatever he wants. If he wants someone to speak in tongues, they will do that. If he wants someone to be healed, they, he will do that. But we do not see people with the gifts of healing and miracles and prophecy in in terms of telling the future like was the founding of the church. Therefore, we have to be careful that we don't read back into 1 Corinthians 14, the present experiences of many. And therefore, we have to find application that is outside of the gift of tongues because it really isn't for us as Valley Bible Church a real issue. We can talk about tongues till the cows come home, right? And we might agree or disagree about various things, but there is a lot that we will miss if we focus just on tongues. We will miss the opportunity of what Paul is really getting at in this chapter. It is all about worship. Tongues were a distraction from love and edification in Corinth. We know that. And focusing on tongues as a controversy can be a distraction for us as well. They had become a distraction for the Corinthians, and we need to be careful that it does not become a distraction for us. So looking beyond tongues, and we'll talk about tongues, but looking beyond that, I have for you three exhortations that are derived from our text that get us to the heart of what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. And I would like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're going to read, we're going to start back in verse 12 where Caleb left off last week. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 12 through 19. Until I come, Paul said, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So would you stand as we read 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in 12, where we left off last week through verse 19, the Word of God. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. 
I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will one who fills the place of the ungifted say the Amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So like I said, looking beyond just the issue of tongues, Paul has some specific lessons that he has for us, and I have three exhortations for you, and the first one is this. Derive from the text, pray for the edification of others. Pray for the edification of others. The whole purpose of spiritual gifts is edification in love. And Paul says in verse verse 12, Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, since we are to abound in the edification of the church, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for an interpretation. Because if you speak in a language that you don't know and no one knows what you're saying, there is no edification. And the whole purpose of tongues and giving and serving and exhortation and leading and whatever it may be, all gifts is to build up others. It's for the edification of the church. Now, I understand there are a couple of difficult things to understand. He says, uh, if you are speaking in a tongue, and you, you should pray that you may interpret. Pray that he may interpret. It's hard to know exactly what Paul has in mind here when he's saying that the one who is speaking in a tongue should pray that he would interpret. And that may be a little bit hard to understand, What is absolutely clear, though, is this. Edification is the key. That there should be a prayer that that message that is spoken in a tongue is to be made known to those who can hear that tongue, that language, if there is no interpretation. Pray for interpretation because that is the purpose of all the gifts for edification. Because everything is to be done In love, chapter 13, by the way, wasn't just inserted in there. Paul was making sure that back in chapter 12 he said, the purpose of spiritual gifts is for the common good of every person. Chapter 12 he says, but it has to be done in love. Chapter 13. Chapter 14, now he's showing us how that works. Spiritual gifts through love bring edification. So, because everything is to be done in love, a zeal for spiritual gifts must be matched by a zeal for edification. And the one who speaks in a tongue, a language, that no one knows that message, he says, except God. Therefore, no one else is edified. Therefore, the use of the gift is not being utilized for its intended purpose, which is the purpose of all gifts to edify others and not oneself. Paul allows that there is some edification to the person who just speaks in tongues, as there is for anyone. If you have a spiritual gift and you employ it, there is some satisfaction you get for that. 
I get satisfaction from preaching. You get satisfaction from serving. You get satisfaction from teaching a Sunday school class or helping out or or uh, counseling someone. We get satisfaction from that. But our ultimate purpose is the edification of others and not ourselves. He says in verse 14, because if I pray in a tongue, in a language that I don't know, my spirit prays, but my mind, my understanding is unfruitful. So I'm praying in a, in, in a tongue, my, my spirit, he says, uh, doesn't even understand what, it, what he's even saying. Edification is what it is all about, it's building up. What is edification, by the way? We talked about it a little bit. Edification means to build others up. That other people would grow in sanctification. Sanctification and edification can be closely related. Sanctification is becoming holy. It is becoming more like Jesus. And that is part of what edification is. It is helping people to grow in their faith. To grow in their practice of Christianity. To become like Christ. To minister their gifts. It's Evangelism is part of edification. Because as we add individuals to the church, we're building it up. Remember the words of Jesus in, in Matthew when the disciples said, who, who do you say that I am? He said, I am, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. When he said, I will build my church, it's the same, it's the word edify. I will build it up. And that's what God is doing, and that's what we're to be doing, building up one another in growth, in maturity, in knowledge, in grace, in service, in understanding. That's what it means to edify. And if, if there is teaching or a tongue or a language that no one can understand, there is no edification because there's no message, because there's no communication. There is no truth being portrayed, and the only one getting anything out of it is the one who is praying or speaking in a tongue. Very interestingly, Paul, here and here alone, places the mind and the spirit together in a way that you don't see in any other place. And usually, in the scriptures, in the New Testament especially, the mind, the heart, the spirit are no, normally used interchangeably of the immaterial part of a human being. And oftentimes it refers to the, the seat of our emotions, the seat of our understanding, the, the seat of our intellect, the seat of our volition. But Paul is not chopping up the human being the way the, the platonic dualist did, that, there, you know, that there's three parts to a person. He, but he is saying that when, when before you come to Christ... You cannot relate to God spiritually because you are a natural man. Remember back in chapters 1 through 3, Paul went to great lengths to show that the, the wisdom of the world is foolishness. They don't understand the cross. They can't comprehend. And he said in chapter 2, verse 14, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. 
But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When you, all throughout that, that, those, uh, those verses, those four verses, Paul is talking about understanding and knowledge and instruction and communication. It's not just some ethereal feeling. The Spirit of God was given to us to help us to understand truth. The truth of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ. We were born again. We received the new nature. We received the Holy Spirit. We received spiritual gifts. And the primary means of spiritual communication is always the Word of God. And now as believers in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, in in which you have a new nature, there is a way for God to communicate with you spiritually. And the only way that I can uh, maybe explain this is that there is some aspect of your deepest inner being that when someone prays or speaks in a language, when they did that back then, there was some way in which the Spirit was engaging even though the mind was disengaged. It is the only spiritual gift that would be that way. Because every one of you, when you uh, uh, administer your spiritual gift, when you, when you do that, what, what God has gifted to you, that spiritual enablement, if it's serving, if it's encouraging, if it's teaching, if it's giving, you know what you're doing. You know that you're giving. You know that you're teaching. You know that you are choosing to do that. And the Spirit of God is spiritually working through this. Tongues are unique to all the gifts. And that this would be the only gift that someone could employ in which they didn't know what they were doing. That is, they didn't know what they were saying. It is the only one, because in every other gift we know exactly what we are saying and what we are doing, because the Spirit is working through us. So in some sense, when someone was speaking in a language that they did not know, the Spirit of God was working through them in a, at a spiritual plane that they could not even understand. And so they had no understanding. Thus, that's why he says, pray for an interpretation, because that is the purpose of the very gift that you have. By the way, verse 14 where he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. This is the only place that praying in a tongue is mentioned. The only place in Scripture. So we cannot build an entire theology of prayer language on one verse. What's more, it is clear to us, and we contend this, we want to be consistent with what the Scriptures teach. In Acts chapter 2, And in all of Acts, whenever someone spoke in tongues, everyone agrees that this was a language that the speaker had not learned before. It was a human language that no one, that person did not know. So, when we get to chapter, when we get to 1 Corinthians, we have no reason to believe that somehow the gift of tongues had changed from a known language to some sort of, some people call call it gibberish. Even in chapter, even in chapter 14 that we are in right here, he says this in uh, verses 10 
there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and that's not the word tongue, and, uh, and no kind without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, and that's not the word tongue, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. Paul uses the word, the word for language and the word for tongues interchangeably in this chapter. So to change from verses 10 and 11 and get down to verse 14 and all of a sudden you're speaking in some other kind of unintelligible speech, that is not what is happening here. Every place, if you have a concordance, test me on this, look at the word tongue in the New Testament. Every place that it's used, it's used of the organ of your tongue or metaphorically of someone speaking, But it is always used of a language. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does that mean? Every language. What he says in the book of Revelation several times is that um, every nation and tribe and tongue, every language group, will come before him and worship him. All I'm saying is this. Every time the word tongue is used in the New Testament, it refers to a language. To somehow change this in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 14 is not good Bible interpretation. There is no reason to believe that the gift of tongues in Acts, which was a language, somehow magically changes to unintelligible speech in 1 Corinthians 14. So, here are some things we need to know. Spiritual fruit and edification are the domain of the Holy Spirit. The domain of the Holy Spirit is fruit. The domain of the Holy Spirit is edification. When Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but in my mind there is no fruit. There is no fruit unto edification. No one is built up. And this is the domain of the Holy Spirit. You want to be spirit-filled. You want to be spirit-directed. You want to have the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It is always edifying other people and never ourselves. That is the domain of the Holy Spirit to edification and building up of the church. Second of all, pray for the specific edification of others. When Paul says, if I pray, hypothetically, in verse 14 in a tongue, I don't even know what I'm saying. The opposite that he's getting at in the entire chapter is you need to know what you're saying. You need to be specific in your prayers, specific in your edification. And I draw this from uh, the Valley Bible Church prayer that we, we penned a few years ago. When you pray for other people, pray for their edification and, and yes, we have a prayer list that goes out every week and we pray for, we pray for safe journeys, we pray for healing, we pray for people to get a job, we pray for people that are hurting, we pray for marriages that are on the rocks, we pray for lots of things. But go deeper. Pray that in the midst of that trial that that person is asking for prayer, that God would grow them, that God would give them the grace, that they will learn grace in the midst of suffering. That they would grow in godliness for the purpose of that, uh, that prayer request is not just that someone gets a job, but that someone grows in godliness through, through the, the trial in which they are looking for a job. This is sanctification to become more like Jesus Christ. Pray for gospel opportunities. 
when someone is going in for surgery or praying for a safe surgery, but is there an opportunity for that person to share with the nurses and the doctors, for them to be a testimony for Christ? And I hear it all the time of people who go into surgery. I had a great talk with the nurse. Right before the surgery, I talked to my doctor and I had an opportunity to witness to him. That is the, the, the deeper level of praying for edification that we should include in our prayers and ultimately for God's glory. That God would be glorified to the person you're praying for in the trial that they're going through, in the answer to the prayer, rather than you being blessed because you prayed this list. There's satisfaction in praying the list, yes. But pray for God's glory working in the lives of those people. So our first encouragement is this. Pray for the edification, edification of others. And the second, in verses 15 through 17, is worship with spirit and mind engaged. Worship with your spirit and your mind engaged. Paul just said, uh, therefore, the one who prays, pray for edification. Because if I'm, if I'm praying in a tongue, my spirit prays, there, there's no fruit to that. So pray for edification. And then he says in verse 15, well, what's the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit at that deeper innermost being in which the Spirit has contact with my spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I like the, uh, the King James and the New King James. I will pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also, with understanding. And then he goes on to say, Otherwise, and he gives a negative, uh, here's what happens if edification isn't coming into play. Here's what happens if people are just speaking in a foreign language and no one is, understands. If they're singing in a foreign language, if they're speaking in a foreign language, if they're praying in a foreign language, he says, well, if you bless, if you say the blessing in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks. If you're speaking in a foreign language, how will anyone know what you're saying? It's like last week when, when Caleb spoke and he started uh, speaking in Italian. Um, uh, in the third service, someone said, Amen. They didn't know what he said, but they said, Amen. They, they, they knew he must know what he was talking about. But if you don't know what the person is saying, how can you agree? Because that's what amen means. I agree. It is so. What you said is true. That's why we say the amen after we read the scriptures, because we believe that it is true. And we say the amen. And then he goes on to say, how can the ungifted ones say the amen of your giving of thanks? Ungifted here uh means uh, a number of things, but most likely someone who was new to the faith, someone who did not have the gift of interpretation, someone who had no idea of what tongues were, probably, probably a brand new Christian, and they come into this place and someone's speaking in a foreign language and they're going, what is going on here? It doesn't make any sense. It's chaos. It's confusion. They can't agree. They can't say the amen. And he doesn't know what they are saying. Verse 17, for you are giving thanks well enough, maybe in your spirit, but the other person is not edified. And that is the purpose of spiritual gifts, that the other person be edified. 
And if we are not edifying other people in our worship, when we pray, when we sing, notice the language of worship, worship here. When you pray, when you sing, when you bless, when you say the amen, when you give the thanks. This is liturgical language. The language of worship. We pray, we sing, we bless, we instruct, we say amen. We give thanks in the worship service, but we all need to be saying amen together. We all need to understand what is being said and what is being taught. And when we don't, there is no edification in the church. Our study of Nehemiah, our men's study on every other Tuesday, I invite you men to, to that. We've been studying Nehemiah, and it's been a great study. And last week, we, we, it was interesting because this this. Nehemiah chapter 8 is a parallel passage in many ways to first to these verses 15 through 17. And Ezra, after the people are back in the, in, the, in the land, all the people are gathered together and they stand for six hours listening to the word of God, giving attention to God's word. Nehemiah 8, 5 and 6 say this, Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, the people stood up. That's where we get this. That's why we do this. Why? Understanding. We want you to hear. We want you to participate. We want you to be edified. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Worship is participatory. Worship is kinetic. We worship with our hands. We worship with our knees. We worship with our faces to the ground. And sometimes we just we want to be really staid and we just want to sit and listen, or maybe stand and be and be quiet. Worship is to we have to have things coming out of our mouths. We need to sing with understanding. We need to listen with understanding. Worship is God communicating with us, and we are communicating back to Him. So these people were listening to the, the, the word of God. And I'm sure, I'm not sure if I have, can you give me the next slide? I'm not sure if it's here. I have it or not. Yes, the Levites explained the law to the people. While the people remained in their place, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give sense that they understood the reading. That's what we're doing right now. We want you to understand the reading of the word of God. And the Levites were making sure that they look at the the, the words that are used there. They explained it. They read from it. They translated. They gave the sense for people to understand. And the, the, the emphasis on the text of scripture, they explained the law, the book, the law of God, the Torah, the reading. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. We want you to understand the word of God, that God is speaking to us, and we respond with the amen, the raising of our hands, the bowing down, with our lives being given to him, because that is what worship is all about. So, back in 1 Corinthians 14, when he says, if you say the blessing and no one understands... The typical Old Testament blessing, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Alom. If you don't know Hebrew, then what does that mean to you? Right? It means nothing. But it means, blessed be the Lord 
God, the King of the universe. To that which you can say, what? Amen. Because you understand it in some unintelligible speech or foreign language that is not uh, um, translated is not for edification. And I should not just speak Hebrew to you and leave it at that. It might be impressive, but it detracts from me. And it detracts from our worship because he is to be the goal of our worship. So some things that we learn from 15 through 17. Since worship is communication with God and one another, we must be careful that we don't exclude others from worship. That's what was happening in Corinth. When, they, when people were just speaking in, the, in a language that was uninterpreted, people were going, I, I don't get it. I, what's going on? I, I can't. What? We're to worship together as one voice together. Tongues with no interpretation excluded people. So therefore, it's important that we explain the word of God. Even children can understand it. And we need to be careful that, we, that there is an understanding of what God's word means so that we can all understand it together and respond with proper worship. Second of all, be aware of the things that distract you from worship. And anything that does not edify is a distraction. Tongues were a distraction. And Paul is trying to get back to, no, you need to focus on what edifies. And what about for us? There are many things that distract you on Sunday mornings. That's why we had communion first, because it's easy to, you know, you've got to get to church, to church on time. I've got to get ready. I've got to have a shower. I've got to have breakfast. We had an argument in the car. Whatever it may be, there are these just things that distract us from worship. We talked about it at our sermon prep time. We have a lot of people in Valley Bible Church right now. There are some that are out there serving. And some of you in here are serving. And some back there are serving. And then all three services. And it's easy when you, when you have a responsibility on Sunday morning. You're busy focusing on ministry. And you come and sit in here and it's hard to gather yourself. It's hard to bring your focus back to why we are here. The circumstances of life. Some of you are suffering. Some of you are in sin. Some of you heard someone say something that distracted you this morning. It maybe it offended you. Maybe you're here, but you're just not engaged because of some issue in your life. You know you can worship through tears. That's what happened in the book of Nehemiah. The people began to weep when they heard the, the word of God because they knew that they were not fulfilling it. And, 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 and Ezra said to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't grieve, don't cry. Through those tears we can worship as we engage ourselves. When we are troubled, when we are grieved, when we are failing, when we are wandering, worship is the place that we go because worship is the place that God is. We must run to him and not from him. And God is gracious and he wants you to worship him, even though you may not feel like it this morning. Even though you may feel like he doesn't accept you because you had a rough week. But he does. Remember that worship is our response to God. And we should not look at worship as, okay, well, I'm coming. I'm just going to sit back and be passive and wait for God to do something for me. 
he will do something for you. But your responsibility is to communicate back to him revelation and response to him and response to one another. That is what worship is, is that we have to be engaged in it with our mind and with our spirit. And if we engage the the spirit and not the mind, it's incomplete. If we engage the mind and not the spirit, it's incomplete. It's half measure. We have to engage ourselves completely when we come to worship him on Sunday mornings. Others have to be edified when we sing, when we pray, when we pay attention to the word of God. Sing, pray, speak, say amen with our spirit and our mind engaged. And at some level, maybe on Sunday morning and even this morning, all you can say is, Lord, I just need you. I'm weak. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Help me. If that's all you can get out, God will help you. I believe he will. Next. Prepare yourself for worship. Prepare yourself for worship on Sunday mornings. You know why? Because worship is spiritual warfare. It is. Well, I know that as a pastor for so many years. What The things that happen on Sunday morning, the things that distract me, and you know it too, if there's going to be a fight, if there's going to be late, if the, uh, the toast is going to burn, or the clothes or dryer is going to go out, whatever it may be, often it will happen on Sunday mornings. But there is an enemy that wants to keep you from this place. There's an enemy who wants to keep you from edifying one another, from singing with understanding, praying with understanding, saying the amen, giving thanks, instruction. He wants to keep you from it. So prepare yourself before you will even arrive. Sometime on Sunday morning, take some time to focus on why you are here. Have a ritual. I mean that. Have some kind of a ritual. Something that you do on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's uh, before you leave the car in the parking lot, you take a moment to bow your head. Maybe the first thing you get up, do on Sunday mornings after you have your breakfast is you and your wife or you and your husband, you grab hands and you pray for what's going to happen at 3021 South Sullivan Road. But do something. I, I can tell you for myself, I have a specific prayer that I pray at a specific time in a specific place on Sunday mornings. I will not tell you what, where, and when. (laughs) But I have that ritual because, you know why? It helps me to gather myself to know, okay, why am I here? What are we doing? What are we all about? Otherwise, I I can be distracted because uh, when I leave here, I'm going to have three people come up to me and say, did you know that there's a a toilet is clogged or whatever it may be? and that those things happen, there will always be distractions, so we must gather ourselves. And when you do arrive, well, let me just go back to that for a minute. If you have kids, do something to, to evoke their faith on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's a prayer before you, the car pulls out of the driveway, before you get into the car, maybe even on the way to, to, to church, you say, okay, kids, let's pray. Let's pray for the worship team. Let's pray for your Sunday school teacher. Let's pray for the pastor, whatever it may be. Take some time with your children to focus their attention on why we are here on Sunday mornings. But when you arrive, take some time. 
When, sit in the in the auditorium, and there's noise. There's, there's listen to people's voices, and listen to the prelude music, and recognize that that is the life of the Spirit. That is the life of God preparing His people to worship, and it's a good thing. And bask in it, take it in, and prepare your hearts to then sing together as God's people. Give attention to God's word and sing with understanding. Give attention to the Word of God and sing with understanding. Engage your mind and not just your mouth. And men, open your mouths and sing with gusto, okay? (laughs) The third exhortation is in verses 18 and 19. It says, which is this, Seek the supreme value of instruction. The supreme value of instruction He says, verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Of course Paul does. Paul is an apostle. He had all of the gifts. He had the gifts of miracles and revelation and prophecy and tongues and healing. Those were the foundational uh, sign gifts to establish the church. Once the church was established and the apostles passed from the scene, we had no need for those gifts anymore. That doesn't mean that someone could not speak in tongues and people are not healed. It just means that no one has the gift of apostleship or the gift of healing and miracles as we saw in the New Testament. But God can heal and God may do miracles. So Paul spoke in tongues more than than all of them. So the people in Corinth can't say, well, Paul, you don't understand. Oh, yes, I understand more than you know. So he says in verse 19, however, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words with a tongue. Oh, for a thousand tongues. It's not when, when that was written by Wesley, he wasn't talking about speaking in tongues. He was talking about languages. Oh, for a thousand tongues. But Paul is saying just five words are greater than tens of thousands. In fact, the word five, it's literally the word five, but a colloquialism that can mean a few. I'm having, so back in the day, they say, I'm having five people over. Oh, well, how many? Seven. A few, several. Several means more than two, but a small number. So he says, I could speak a few words. But the word 10,000 is not the literal Greek number, 10,000, it's the word myriad. Myriad of angels, countless, immeasurable, unfathomable number that cannot be calculated. So you can speak thousands upon thousands and billions and billions of words in a foreign language in the gift of tongues. Five little words with instruction, more powerful. God loves you. Three. Just stop there. And I could speak in tongues for 45 minutes. You wouldn't know what I say. It means nothing. But a few words that God loves you. And that's, that gives the point of what Paul is saying. Verse 18 is the proper role and value of tongues, but verse 19 shows us the reality at Corinth. They were misusing the gift and people were not getting edified. And as good and as proper as tongues is, 
The church, when it is gathered together, is God's people worshiping together. So a couple of things. Sanctification and edification are the ministry of the Spirit through the Word. It's powerful. The ministry of the Word of God by the Spirit of God is powerful. Even a few words are greater than thousands of words in an unintelligible speech or a language that is uninterpreted. That's why Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. How are we sanctified? How are we edified? By the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The Spirit of God using the word of God, making you holy, making you like Jesus Christ. So, the conclusion of the matter is this. To take those three exhortations, they basically say this. Pray for edification. Engage fully in worship and value the power of God's word. Because it is of much inestimable value compared to someone speaking in tongues that is not interpreted. Worship is the domain of the Holy Spirit. When we come on Sunday mornings, this is a spiritual endeavor, and the Holy Spirit isn't engaged. That's why in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, it says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Worship is Spirit-directed. Worship is Spirit-filled. Worship is Spirit-led. Worship is Spirit-inspired. And worship is responding to the truth of God, to him and to one another as we sing, as we speak, as we pray, as we bless, as we give the thanksgiving, the Eucharist to him. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. We ask that we might be worshipers who respond to the revelation given to us. We ask that we might speak to one another and teach one another and edify one another. We pray that we would value the word of God as you've given it to us by the power of your spirit. Would you use it to make us like Jesus Christ? We lay these things in your lap and in your power that your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.